horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. Okay, well, thanks for joining us for another edition of Winning Ponies and on the racing calendar and down the stretch we come. Pretty much closed out the win and your ends over the weekend, and uh, it was an exciting one. A few shockers and a few people saying, hey, I think this horse is ready for the big show. So uh, we'll be talking a lot about uh, the Breeders' Cup races down the road. Got two interesting guests. Uh, just want to let you know, uh, because the racing's going to get, we, we had to seek out graded stakes races, which we like to do primarily on this show unless we're following a state-bred championship series or something. Um, and they, they all end up in, in Keeneland. Uh, but I can tell you this, and after the results I saw over my two days down there this past weekend, you're going to need these easy win forms <laughs> because, you know, getting horses coming in from everywhere with all the top trainers and jockeys, uh, there's only one way to play, and that's coming over to winningponies.com. Pull down the easy win forms. Let's take a look, John. We had any recent hits? Yeah. How about... Two days ago, boy, we've really the easy win forms have done well at the Horseshoe Indianapolis. Um, we had a fifty cent pick five. This was three days ago, that paid four thousand six hundred and fifteen. Uh, the day before that, let's see, I think we had a pretty big one at Horseshoe. Yeah, no, this was four days before that. But hey, this will pay your plane fare to the Breeders' Cup wherever you are, and that was at the horseshoe also and it was a 10 cent super five that paid just over seventeen thousand. so folks it's worth the investment come on over to winningponies.com and we'll tell you who we got to help us maybe find some winners and our first guest going to be a first time starter on the show uh you might know him as the announcer and uh, line maker at sam houston park but he Jumping into the deep end of the pool now, and he is going to be doing the morning line at Keeneland. He's not going to. He already is. But as you know, uh, a uh, annual guest on this show, either uh, pre-Derby or pre-Keeneland, has often been Mike Battaglia. And uh, that Mike's decided, you know what? doing this stuff every day when I could instead be sitting in the thoroughbred club playing these horses <laughs> has stepped back and Nick tomorrow is going to join us and I'm really looking forward to uh, you know they don't replace many announcers at, at, at Keeneland or, or line makers uh, for sure uh, Mike had been there since I'm going to say 19 1974. Think about that. He'd been making the line at Keeneland since 74. Now, Mike will still be doing the line at Turfway Park in Churchill Downs. But we're going to be talking uh, to Nick tomorrow. And not only is he going to be the, the line maker, but he is a track announcer and he is a player. He actually won a handicapping tournament there uh placing in its grade one gamble 
And uh, so we're going to learn about his, uh, how he approaches Keeneland because it is the toughest of all cards. And then Vance Hansen, Vance has been on the show. He makes about an annual appearance. Uh, He's the associate editor with uh, Twin Spires and Brisnet. Gee, since 2008. He's a member of the National Turf Writers and Broadcasters. He does uh, writing, but he also does handicapping. I first met him when he was a, uh, an official handicapper with the Daily Racing Form. Uh, and so we're going to be talking to him about a particular story he wrote about horses that Kenny can't carry the weight and certainly one that did during his career. And then what he's observed over the first week, he is a real student of the sport. Uh, He's also a very uh, uh, exact writer. This story he wrote on the Royal Harmony is just uh, the detail that went into it. It's fantastic. But uh, so anyhow, Vance Hansen and Nick tomorrow or tomorrow, depending on where you were born and how you say your A's, uh, will be our first two guests. So don't forget that the, the main races that we're going to look at at Keeneland, it's a weekend worth. On Friday is going to be the Grade 3 Sycamore, a race with no pace. It is a great betting race. Who's going to get there? I don't know. Maybe the easy win for him. So I'll tell you, or better than that, maybe Vance Hansen will tell us. But then on Saturday, as we know, sadly, she won't be there in person like she was back in 1984. The Queen Elizabeth Challenge Cup. Grade one, 600,000 on the line. Wish we got more horses, but it's an interesting field. And then we're going to continue our graded stakes observations on Sunday with the grade three Franklin, five and a half on the grass. Ooh, a horse whose original trainer we had on after the win in the Caress Stakes at Saratoga back in July of 2021 when Elizabeth Merriman was our guest. Well, since then, the horse has traded hands a few times, uh, certainly traded trainers. I do believe that uh, Elizabeth kept a a chunk of Caravelle that she bred. And uh, so she'll be in this race. But look out, folks, because uh, you've got uh, Twilight Gleeman, a West Ward filly who uh, is uh, right up his alley sprinting on the grass you may remember her name how about the breeders cup turf sprint at del mar that's right wire to wire i read ortiz was in the saddle that day johnny v so we'll take a look at those races with vance hansen all right quick look there let's get to some of the news of the week uh jose lescano got jockey of the week uh let's see he rode for uh, hall of famer bill mott at the big the big A, the Belmont at the big A meet at Saturday, elite power in the grade two Vosburg. And then right back, happy to know Bill Mott, Jose Lizcano is the pilot. First time on the five-year-old mare, warlike goddess, taken on males for the first time in the grade one Joe Hirsch turf classic and uh, got home against the boys and looks like uh, she'll be going in the Longines Breeders' Cup turf because she's got a free invite now so congratulations to jose lescano a couple top jockeys you know that are getting three day suspensions uh, for their errant ways uh joel rosario uh jose ortiz and irad ortiz 
are all been handed three-day suspensions from the Keeneland Stewards. Uh, they'll run October 19th through the 21st, so those boys aren't going to miss too much. Haven't seen the Preakness winner? Well, you can if you go to Ashford Stud. That's right, early voting. The gunrunner Colt, who defeated Epicenter in the Preakness Stakes, well, he's going to be going to Ashford Stud. Now, he's a son of gunrunner. I don't know if there's a hottest sire in the world. Um, retires with earnings of $1.3 million, but he'll uh, remember most for his win in the second jewel at the Pimlico Race Course. A, the uh, the Preakness stakes. So, uh, you know, Gunrunner, what can we say? He's gotten off to the fastest start of any stallion I can recall. We'll find out what the stud fee for early voting will be as it's going to be announced later. And if you weren't watching the sales overseas, we had our most expensive yearling of the year, $3.3 million for a Frankel coat. Colt, and I guess there were some American bidders over there, um, yeah, where uh, that made it very, very interesting. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, it looks like it was landed by uh, connections that like to race across the pond. Now, other stakes results. Let's get to it. Down at Keeneland, thank you everyone who was down there. It was great to see so many guests. I won't start naming them, but. You've heard most of them here on Winning Ponies. The press box was packed and stacked. Uh, coming up, let's see, on Friday, we had uh, the, uh, the Phoenix Stakes. And in there, Manny Wah, great ride by Corey Lannery, who just snuck up on the inside, was getting a little uh, put in tight by Paco Lopez, who almost got there at 19 to 1. But it was Maniwa at 17 to 1. If you had the exacta, 182, count your pennies, 34. Okay, in the JP Morgan Jessamine, the winner was number three, Delight, a uh, son of Mendelssohn, who was the slight favorite, one by five in wire to wire fashion. And then in the Darley Alcibiades, this one for the two-year-old girls, wire-to-wire, Wonderworld, ridden by Tyler Gaff-Leon, trained by Mark Cassie, a daughter of Into Mischief. Right there in second, this is a great three-horse photo, was uh, Chop Chop, the Brad Cox trainee, and third, uh, Chad Brown trainee by Raging Scene. So keep an eye out. The two-year-old Philly division is looking awful good. That was Friday. Then we parlayed that into to the stakes on Saturday. Uh, let's see, man. It was fantastic. Uh, starting off in the sixth race, we hit a new track record by none other than Wesley Ward's Golden Pal. What a horse he's turned out to be, and it looks like a return to the Breeders' Cup will be in order. Golden Pal, what appeared to be a, a public workout, got the job done in 101 Point three nine. That's for five and a half on the turf. In the seventh race, the Thoroughbred Club of America, it was slammed. Who is a New Mexico bred? Sent off the favorite. Somebody get out the history books. When was the last time that happened? Slammed to Florent Giroux. Get the job done by six and a half at the Thoroughbred Club of America. Second was Happy Soul. And third was Joyful Cadence. 
Then in the first lady, ah, it was going to be a Chad Brown horse, but it was the slightly longer shot in Italian getting the best over stablemate Regal Glory. That's six grade one wins for Chad Brown in the first lady. What an amazing achievement for a trainer. Then on the Claiborne Breeders Futurity, ooh, we got a good one uh, happening in Kentucky here. It was neck and neck down to the wire. Forte racing against Loggins, who had the lead the whole way. And getting up at the wire was Forte. I read Ortiz was in the saddle. Things were a little tight, but it stayed. Forte, Todd Pretcher, son of violence, got the job done. Again, this is two-year-old boys. Keep an eye out. Loggins tried his best. Very game on the front, but just couldn't last. And the third spot was red route one. All right, let's see. I do, do believe that we want to hit a cost a couple in the last few seconds that we have nest an easy winner in the bell dame taking on the older horses shouldn't have any problem there malafat gives a grade one trifecta that race was on sunday in the grade one spinster stakes so the champ is back folks uh what's he gonna do he's got malafat and nest they're gonna have to see each other sooner or later and again keep an eye out guy by the name of Bob Baffert's got a nice little horse by the name of Cave Rock, who's now three for three with his win in the American Pharaoh out on the West Coast. Warlike Goddess beat the boys in the Joe Hirsch Turf Classic. That was one of the mounts that got Jose Lescano, Jockey of the Week. And the winner is won the bourbon stakes great name for that horse fun one for a track announcer and we got a track announcer coming up that's right none other than nick tomorrow is going to join us i'm looking forward to it very much i'm john Engelhart. you're listening to winning ponies Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free 
1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and talking to my guest before this interview turns out I was right. It is tomorrow, and it is tomorrow. Just depends on uh, whether or not you're from the East Coast or you're from Texas. He's from the Texas area, so we'll call him Nick tomorrow. Nick, welcome so much to Winning Ponies. Hopefully your name will become a household one. I hope so. I'm sure this will go a long way towards making sure it happens, though, John. I appreciate you having me. <laughs> well, what will make uh, sure it goes a long way is your connection with Keeneland. Uh, you've probably done your history work on the track. You're old enough to do that, and I know that you've been a player there. But Keeneland doesn't make uh, rash moves, and they also don't usually make uh, put their finger in the dike if something's breaking. So Mike Battaglia... Uh, had been there since 1974, and uh, you know he's beloved to the people of uh, Kentucky. Of course, is he was you know the uh, announcer for so many years at uh, uh, Latonia, Turfway, Churchill Downs. Uh, so uh, and so he stuck around since 1974. Uh, hopefully, we'll be doing this interview in about 30 years, Nick. Point from your mouth to God's ears, right? Let's hope so. But uh, no, no doubt about it. It was an illustrious career for Mike, who I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for, both as a as a, an odds maker and as a, a, an announcer. Um, I think he did. He climbed the racing Mount Everest, which is to call the Kentucky Derby, and he did it. Uh, I want to say t- roughly twenty times. So hats off to him, a real uh, gentleman in the sport. And so I hope that I can come remotely close to to filling those big shoes. Now, now, the enthusiasm I hear in your voice as an announcer reminds me of two guys I work with during their younger years. Of course, they never give me credit for their development, uh, but their names are P.I.L.O. and Jason Beam. What do you think of those two guys? You know, I think in the last two days, I've, I've been texting with both of them. Jason is a is a big Mariners fan, and so he was uh, commiserating not so much with me because I'm an Astros fan, but he was he was texting me after the game on uh on Tuesday, and then Pete and I play in the same fantasy football league, and I engineered a trade. My team's 5-0. and He's 1-4, and so I was able to uh, to pull off a trade with him and, and hopefully help him rebuild for the future. So two good friends of mine and two excellent announcers themselves, and both in places that it's fun to visit in the wintertime as well. Well, they used to work in a place that was fun to visit in the summertime, and that was a place by the name of River Downs. And I uh, you know, part-time shared an office with those guys and got to watch them in their early days and knew they were both going on to bigger and better things. I know their history, but I don't know your history, Nick. How did you end up in the announcer's booth? Because it's a rare place to be. There's only so many of those positions, let's say, in North America. Yeah, you know, it kind of happened by chance in many ways. Um, I've been in Houston for the majority of my life and since I graduated from college about 16 years ago. And uh, my my dad and I, my father passed away in January, and he was the one who introduced me to racing. And he and I have been regulars at Tim Houston for a long time. And I had dabbled at periods of time in calling races. One of my very good friends is Travis Stone, who's the announcer at Churchill Downs. And 
I've known Travis since he was the announcer at Louisiana Downs. And so I called some races there when he was working at Louisiana Downs. And I called a weekend of races at Maynard Downs in Austin back in 2010. So last year, uh, our track announcer at Sam Houston, Chris Griffin, had taken the job up at Parks. And right. that left the, uh, the administration in a little bit of a lurch because they needed to replace him pretty rather abruptly. And, um, and so they, what the uh, management did was they, they found different people to call individual weekends. And so I called a, a couple of weekends in May, and then we had 20 days added to our slate. And I ended up calling all of those because there was no way to get somebody to come to town just for that period of time. And, and luckily right. that went well enough. And, and the management there said, you know, why don't we try and do this for the, for the time being and, and make you the permanent announcer. So that, that's how it went. It was just, you know, I think uh, the definition of, of luck, right, where preparation meets opportunity. Absolutely. You know, and, uh, you know, I get different people come up to me, you know, interns or whatever over the years or people say, you know, how do I get to be a photographer? Or how do I get to be an announcer? How do I get to, you know, and I say, well, listen, kid, you just got to get on the bench because sooner or later the starters are going to go on to other teams or decide, you know, that they've had enough injury, they're going to move on. And uh, my advice to anybody is I don't care what you're doing. If it's the biggest slug job in the world, just get your foot in the door, and sooner or later, if you're talented, they're going to recognize it. Now, Nick, what's interesting about you, we're going to get to your style of odds-making in a little bit, but I'm like that the fact that, you're familiar with Keeneland Racing because you were actually a, a handicapping contest winner there. So, you know, how, tell me about that and kind of how you incorporate your handicapping into your odds making. Yeah, it's a little tricky. So, contest wise, I got involved in handicapping contests going back about almost 15 years now. It was really a goal of mine to qualify for the uh, the national handicapping championship in Las Vegas. And, um, and so I, I ended up playing in a qualifier at Sam Houston, which I won in 2008 and ended up going to the NHC. And that was my first time. And then I, I kind of backed away from contests for a while. Five years later, I was going to Keeneland with a friend and, and I said, you know, do you want to split an entry to this contest? And it was, it was pretty brash, uh, a pretty negligent move on my part, John, to be honest with you, because <laughs> I had just, I was switching jobs. And so I, I said to him, you know, this is a great time for me to be putting up $1,500 to, uh, to go into a contest. And he was like, well, you, any good gambler knows that when, you're, when your back's really against the wall is when you're going to do best. So long story short, I finished third. I qualified for the NHC. We made some money. And then later that year, I played in the Breeders' Cup betting challenge in 2014 and ended up finishing fourth. And uh, that was worth uh, roughly $105,000 between what was left in my bankroll and the prize money. And so that kind of kicked off my, my contest playing career. And one of the people that I encountered on the, along the way was Jim Goodman, who's the director of simulcasting at Keeneland. And so Jim and I have become very friendly and uh, he is just one of the, one of the greatest people you'll meet in racing, a true ambassador to the game and, and, and a real gentleman. And, um, and so that's how I've, I've really stayed in contact with people at Keeneland. So it's uh, you know, the handicapping portion of making a morning line can be very tricky because what you have to take out of your mind is, well, that's not a horse I would bet, or that is a horse I would bet. And so I, I think I when you adjust odds, that, explain that to our listeners that 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 you're not necessarily when you see those numbers at the bottom of the program or you see a horse that's it's three to one, um, th- that doesn't mean Nick's thinks that that horse is the winner, but he does think that that's how the public's going to perceive it, correct? 
Yes, exactly. Right. That, those are not my selections. That's how I believe the public is going to bet. And so one of the things that I have to remind myself of is that I have to separate what would be my viewpoint from what their viewpoint will be. So I think that, and, and yes, and Wednesday's last race is a great example. There was a horse named Coleridge for Bill Mott who was coming back off a layoff. I read Ortiz was riding his last race at Gulfstream. He beat a weak field and he got a big pace set up. He's not a horse I would ever bet. So I think that contributed to why I made him 12 to one. He ended up going off two to one, which I really, really looked foolish. Um, he also, apparently there was a lot of buzz about his workouts and things like that. Just stuff that I can't be prepared for when I'm making a line 96 hours out. So I've, I've tried to put in a few mechanisms to get a little bit more brushed up on that, but that's a great example of it, right? There's a horse that I wouldn't have bet. And so I probably shortchanged him a little bit odds wise. And so I'm, I'm trying to go through in two phases now where I, I was actually making the Sunday morning line as we, as we started talking and, and trying to go through in a, you know, in a bit more of a, of a basic handicapping fashion, but then more so in an odds-making approach where I'm trying to predict the public rather than, uh, than looking at it the way I necessarily would from betting perspective. Now, I, I'm thinking it's Sam Houston. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if all of a sudden you saw, you know, John Velasquez flying in for a mount or, you know, the, the Ortiz brothers or something like that, um, that's going to raise some eyebrows, I would think, down there. But at Keeneland... Those guys are just another jack in the race. It, it's a phenomenal training and jockey. And if you want to involve breeding into it, cause there's so many two-year-old races. Um, to me, being an odds maker at Keeneland, it, it's got to be one of the biggest challenges in the world, particularly on the last thing that I mentioned. And that's the fact that you're handicapping the unknown in these sometimes packed two-year-old races. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think I might be even more frustrated if I'm if they're willing to have me do it in the spring and I'm trying to do those two year old races where they're all first time starters. I guess there's a there's an automatic excuse for that, right? How are you really supposed to know who's uh, who's gonna end up getting that? But no, it's very That's challenging. Easy. And, and That's easy, Nick. I'll tell Wesley you. Wesley Ward, right? Wesley Ward. Wesley Ward and Ask Musson. You know, it's there you go. right if, if one doesn't win, the other one does, because those guys, you know, they're both you know uh, legendary for being able to crank up a two-year-old when they have to. Of course, it's proven time and time again, but Wesley Ward, yeah, I'm not telling you anything you don't know because you're also a handicapper. You're not just an odds maker. I like that. Right, for sure. So, you know, and as you mentioned, it, it is a very difficult place to make the, the odds for because, uh, you know, in any given race, you could have shippers from Churchill, Indiana, Kentucky Downs, uh, Belterra, Saratoga, aqueduct, you know, and, and you're trying to assess this form and, and tie it together um, from, from those different jurisdictions while also keeping an eye on the potential pace scenario, understanding what's going on class-wise, and that's probably the most difficult element of it. And so, you know, any morning line maker is going to tell you that their default option is to use speed figures. Um, you know, unfortunately, we all make morning lines pretty much too far in advance to have the advantage of using something like thoroughgraph figures. So, Buyer figures become the default option for, for daily racing form users, and, you know, they move the market more than any other figure. So it seems like the, the most accurate way to approach things, but there are going to be plenty of times where the public looks other directions or looks for, for other options that might help them uh, get to where they want to land. So it's a matter of putting together as much information as possible in a piecemeal fashion, but in a short period of time. You know, it, 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 you talk about the, you know, the difficulty, <laughs> certainly I do. Um, 
over the on. I don't know if it was both days. I was down there Friday and Saturday. But okay, we're at the elite of the elite. You know, I expect every horse to to be here to be an into mischief and and, uh, and a gun runner. Uh, I saw a New Mexico bred and a Michigan bred win. I mean, how difficult is that to factor into to your handicapping slash line making? I mean, here's horses that obviously aren't used to facing these horses that have often, you know, let's say, tasted steaks company or more competitive steaks company. And you, you come in with a New Mexico bread and a Michigan bread and win at Keeneland. That's a feat. It is, yeah. And and Slams, who you reference in New Mexico bread, is, is a horse who won by a, a, the length of the stretch, it seemed, as, as a pretty solid favorite. So, right. And, and you know, the other thing there is that Slammed is a horse that was trained by Todd Fincher. And you know, the majority of, granted, Todd Fincher won the ACAC at Churchill a couple of weeks ago with Senor Buscador, I guess just a week ago. But the, the general public is still becoming acquainted with Todd Fincher. So they see his name. They don't really know who he is. And little do they realize that he's an excellent trainer and a trainer that wins at a really high percentage around uh, uh, different geographical locations where the racing has gotten a lot more competitive. And a lot of the dirt racing in New Mexico and Texas has improved as, as time has gone by. And, and so Fincher's stock is good enough for him to have to dabbled a little bit at Del Mar as well. So, you know, here's a guy who's actually a really good trainer, training a horse that people aren't quite sure how good she is. But I, I will say that the public really, uh, for pun intended, they slammed, slammed, no doubt about it. They knew she was ready to roll. I loved it. I love it. And then, you know, uh, E.T. Baird, uh, who was, you know, a, a staple on the Chicago uh, circuit. And it's just sad to see where all these guys have been peppered around the United States and as far as jockeys and, and trainers. Um, he, he comes down here just for two mounts and wins them both. Things that make you go, hmm. I interviewed him after his second win. I go, he goes, hey, I got to go catch a plane, man. I was getting his phone number. <laughs> and uh, and I said, hey, E.T., he goes, what? I go, you're the leading rider at Keeneland. <laughs> it wouldn't That's last funny. long, but <laughs> he won like the first. No, it's four. true, right? And, uh, yeah, and he gave both horses a very good ride. And then E.T. Baird, one of the more underrated front, front-end jockeys that you're going to find even in his uh, – in the twilight of his career, I shouldn't say maybe the the uh, the, the few victory laps left in his career, but uh, yeah, and he rode a winner on opening day for Fernando Pahina, who is a, a high percentage trainer, but again wins a lot of those races on smaller circuits. So the public is going to be pretty pretty uh, inclined to overlook those types, and I think that's the that's the challenge of being a line maker and trying to predict what direction they're going to go, looking at all these variables. Okay, we're talking with Nick uh, Tamaro, who's uh, you may be familiar with his voice out in Texas, but now we're going to try to get uh, f- familiar uh, w- with his uh, line making uh, here in Kentucky. Hey, now what I want to know is, I mean, you are spouting out statistics on people that I was not familiar with whatsoever, and you make it sound like uh, these guys are in your hip pocket. Do you keep extensive notes, or are you just a sponge for anything and everything, or are you a huge stats guy? All the above, um, I think. I'm, I'm just a, you know, I'm a total, total number cruncher. I'm a, I'm a, uh, I've, I've told people for years, I'm just a nerd for numbers and, and racing information and things like that. So I've generally kept up with uh, as, as many stats as I possibly could. I handicap also 
probably 80 plus races on a weekly basis from all the, the major jurisdictions and uh, in the assorted work that I do for a couple of different companies. And, and I think that goes a long way towards contributing as well, um, at least at this stage of my life. And I, I am I am getting a little older and my memory is not as good. I've, I've often joked with people that I'm going to be very, very sad when I can't remember things the way I have my entire life. And it's getting a little bit harder. The race calling is probably not going to help either because you become so conditioned to forgetting things so willingly. But yeah, that's that's kind of a big part of it. I've always tried to to really look at a lot of races, and I I love the the challenge uh, of handicapping and picking winners and everything that goes into it and the reward that comes out of it. So you can tell probably as I talk about racing how much I I love that element of it. And at a place like Keeneland, you know, it it, it took me until 2014 to actually go to Keeneland in person for the first time. But I have so much respect for what it is as a as an institution in American thoroughbred racing and you know, have the opportunity to to have a job like this, I'm going to treat it with the utmost respect. So everybody out there, especially my adoring fans on Twitter that might think that I'm the worst morning line maker ever, you can go on with it, certainly, but understand that I am actually putting the work in. <laughs> I love it. Well, we're, we're getting to know who uh, Nick, Nick Tamro is this evening. Well, like I said, first of all, uh, I've been around Keeneland uh, since, we'll just say the 80s. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and I and I've watched the place, and the one true vein that runs through it is over the years they've instituted change, but subtly, no slap in the face type of thing. But everything they did, every decade they did it, they did it with class, and and they also did it by hiring quality people. Again, like I said at, at the top of the show or the beginning of this interview, um, it, as long as you're good. And and respected and respectful, um, they give you a shot at Keeneland. And again, you know, Kurt Backer. Here's a racetrack that never had an announcer, and he, you know, he's become a staple of that place. Again, Mike was there uh, since 1974, and I could go on uh, through a litany of other positions that track. So, uh, Nick, well, welcome uh, uh, to Kentucky. Uh, you know, I and I could tell from your enthusiasm. Uh, you're going to make it because you remind me just a little bit of those two guys I mentioned earlier in uh, Pete Aiello and Jason Beam because both of them have uh, had this exuberance uh, about them that, that I like. I like the high energy and I do like the way that they're they're different but they're alike in the race calling in that they're both very good storytellers and I think that's important for uh, you, you know, somebody who is a, a race caller. How, how would you describe your style to the public? Yeah, I, I think I think definitely to try and capture the uh, the unfolding of the story. You know, a little bit of how you unravel everything as as time goes by. So I think, you know, looking at it from a handicapper's perspective, my goal early on in calling the races was to try and identify the horses that if you had made a bet, you know, you would want to know as things were unfolding, who was making a move, you know, who might be fading and really be as descriptive as possible and also as accurate as possible in doing that, because I think that really enhances the viewing experience. But I mean, obviously, like many people, I grew up listening to, to Tom Durkin and Trevor Denman, who were two with, with different styles, but uh, two guys who were, had an uncanny ability to really capture 
the races it was unfolding, Tom Durkin from just a, a theatrical standpoint and Trevor, because he was such an astute analyst of race flow, you know, and a lot of people don't realize that Trevor, Trevor Denton was on some of the early Breeders' Cup broadcasts, breaking down races immediately after they were run. And, you know, that's something that you just wouldn't expect from an announcer nowadays. And He was actually really, really good at it. So I, I love that about each of them. And so, and I, I try to listen to other announcers as well, who I think do a particularly good job of that, because it's really about enhancing the experience for the listener um, and, and getting out of the way. Right, because the horses are the story. The jockeys, in many cases, are part of the story as well. The story is very rarely the announcer. We're just the people lucky enough to uh, to bring the story to the public. Well, Nick Tamara, look forward to meet you in person. Yeah, keep keep that spirit up. And uh, next time uh, you talk to Jason and Pete, tell him you know me. I'm going to let him know tonight, John. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for having <laughs> me. I'll see you soon. All right, Nick Tamro, a contest player and now the line maker for Keeneland. You can also hear his voice down at Sam Houston Racetrack. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. We're going to be talking to handicapper extraordinaire, none other than Vance Hansen. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Pascal, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with us again on the show, though it's been a while, is none other than Vance Hansen, the associate editor with Twinspires.com and Brisnet.com. But going back to 2008, now when I first met Vance, it was uh, across the Ohio River, the River Downs. It pops up in a lot of my conversations because it was a big part of my life. And at that time, he was the handicapper with the Daily Racing Forum, and he joined me on the Regular Guy TV show. But tonight, he's joining me on the Regular Guy radio show. Vance, how have you been? Doing great, John. Uh, thanks for having me on tonight. Well, good to see you up at Keeneland the other day. I looked at you and I said, Vance, I got to get you back on the show. And by the way, did you ever write that story about Royal Harmony? Well, you, you sent me the link. I don't know. I used, somehow we missed it. You thought you said it to me and I kept thinking you were blowing me off. Either way. Or that the story never got written. But your story on Royal Harmony is fantastic. Now, people are saying, who is Royal Harmony? There's probably about 
50 Royal Harmonies out there someplace. If somebody's willing to do the research on it, like Vance Hansen did, he must have slept in the Keeneland Library for a week uh, writing this story. But uh, the fact that he was a, a state state for it wasn't that big of a thing but what's interesting about your story on this horse that ran back in the i'll say 1970 because uh, he ended up beating the 1970 kentucky derby winner uh, what impressed me the most vans number one you were amazing research on the story but number two the amount of weight that handicappers made this horse carry yeah, uh, for those that don't know the story of Royal Harmony, he was uh, an Ohio-bred champion in the late 60s and early 70s, as you mentioned, and uh, actually a very good horse, not only in state-bred company, but also in open company. Uh, according to my research, uh, Royal Harmony won the Fayette Handicap uh, three years in a row at Keeneland, and he was the first horse ever to win uh, the same stakes at Keeneland three times, so he has that going for him as far as... Uh, uh, Keeneland racing history is concerned, but going to the weight that you mentioned, yes, Royal Harmony uh, was one of the unbelievable weight carriers of all time, uh, you know, even compared to, you know, superstars like a Kelso or a Forgo. Uh, Royal Harmony and so a lot of these Ohio bred stakes uh, in his era, he was being asked to carry upwards of 140 pounds or more. And I know, uh, according to my research, he uh, one stakes carrying 141, 143 yes. pounds. I mean, it was just un- it was just an unbelievable <laughs> achievement for a horse that a lot of people just don't know about. So it was a, it was a fun story to research, and uh, he's a very cool horse. And I'm sure uh, you know in this day and age of social media, he would have just been an absolute uh, sensation. I think. Absolutely, he would have had his own website and everything. Well, Vance, like I said, all eyes are going to be on Keeneland this weekend because, you know, once we get this close to the Breeders' Cup, you see a lot of stakes kind of disappear for a while. People are waiting for the big day to be over. But we got three graded stakes races spread across three days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Now, the most challenging, I think, we're going to see on Friday in the, the, the Sycamore, I mean, you, you, you got some old uh, veterans. The one that really jumps to mind is Arclo. Uh, who knows? He is a horse, not a gelding. So this could be his swan song year. Uh, he's going to be considered one of the favorites. Uh, he's not he's a favorite in my heart, but not on paper. Um, I'm kind of moving since there's no real pace in this race. I had a hard time going, but I see one horse can creep up a little bit quicker than some of the others, and that's a horse by the name of Mira Mission. So I'm going to cut right to the chase and show my hand because this was a very hard race to handicap, Vance. It definitely was. We have an overflow field of 12. You have a lot of, uh, you know, old time with horses with a lot of plenty of black class. I counted several grade one well, winners in the field, and of course, we also have a former Eclipse Award champion and channel maker. So this is an amazingly tough race uh, on paper. Um, I, I, I thought Mirror Mission looked really good. I mean, uh, the main asset he brings into the race is he's a mere four-year-old running against a lot of grizzled veterans that are seven and eight. Uh, he's obviously less exposed than a number of horses in the field, so I think he's going to run really well off a uh, close second-place finish in the Sword Dancer. I kind of went in another direction as well with another four-year-old in the race. Chad Brown is uh, 
putting a, in a first-time stakes performer in here named Baltus, number 10. He's 12 to 1 in the morning yes. line. Uh-huh. Yes. And he's coming in off of three consecutive victories in Overnight Company in New York. Uh, he was uh, he didn't do too well at the start of his career. He kind of got a belated start to his career last year. Uh, but then he was gelded, put blinkers on him, and now he's won three straight in the Mickey Maiden Allowance Company. Uh, well-bred, he's by Galileo. Uh, he's already been this mile-and-a-half distance winning an allowance at Saratoga last time. So uh, Baltus, I think, is going to be a uh, horse to be on the lookout for in this race. He's got plenty of upside, I think, and, of course, uh, this is a chance for Chad Brown fans to get a prize here. Absolutely. Uh, I'll send you a photo right now of my my PPs, and you'll see that I got a big check mark by Balthus. And I said, taking a jump in class, but I think he's ready. Plus, you said the key word here, Galileo. I've been in love with that horse since he was running. And, uh, you know, he, he's been the northern dancer uh, of Europe for years. So I love anything by Galileo. So uh, Balthus, he's going to be coming up in class. Mira Mission, the other four-year-old. We'll see if the youngsters can take on their elders. Now that's Friday. And now on on Saturday, we're going to move to what some people call the QE2. It is the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge Cup. And I think some horses either waiting to go uh, into the Breeders' Cup or because there's opportunities elsewhere. Um, we've got only a field of seven, and uh, I'm going to let you take it away, and I'll probably just co-sign uh, everything you have to say. With a field of seven, Vance Hansen will preview the Queen Elizabeth II Challenge. Take it away, Vance. Yeah, this isn't the deepest renewal of this race, unfortunately. Uh, we do have an even-money favorite here in McCulloch, trained by Chad Brown, who, uh, you know, aside from Spenderella, who, did, who wasn't entered, uh, is pretty much near the top, or if not at the top, of the three-year-old uh, turf filly class this year. Um, I think she's going to be very tough to beat, although she uh, has lost uh, both previous starts uh, in Kentucky. Uh, both occurred at Churchill Downs last spring, and we know a lot of, uh, we've heard anecdotally that a lot of horses just didn't handle uh, Churchill's new turf course uh, this past spring, but she did run well in both races, and then when she went to New York, competed in their uh, turf tiara uh, series, winning the Belmont Oaks and the Jockey Club Oaks, finishing second in between in the Saratoga Oaks. Uh, so I from a class standpoint, I think McCulloch looks uh, going to be very difficult to beat in this race. Uh, I think if there is one uh, uh, possible negative, she is cutting back in distance. Uh, she's cutting back from a mile and three-eighths to go a mile and an eighth here. She has been running a lot longer. and In fact, it looks like a mile and a quarter or longer might be her in, more in her wheelhouse than a mile and an eighth. But uh, I think this class is just going to be too much uh, for the others in this field to handle. Uh, outside of McCulloch, I think uh, Bella Bell, who's invading yeah. from California for Phil D'Amato, looks pretty good. She won both of her uh, first two starts in California in stakes races out there and then ran a distant second in the Del Mar Oaks last night, last time to the filly uh, uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, Spinderella, who just was the class of that field. But Bella Bell ran a pretty good race, and I think she can carry that form to Keeneland on Saturday. So McCulloch... Bella Bell are the two I'm kind of looking at here. Boy, I hope we got great minds because we do think alike. What really kind of gave me an added edge on 
Bella Bell, and again, I'm not saying she's going to beat McCulloch, but that'll be my exacta, um, was the fact that Umberto Rispoli, who, as you know, is a top rider, uh, particularly on the grass, um, is making the trip. He has not had a mount at Keeneland yet this meet, and he's making the trip to ride this horse. That kind of gave me a little extra push that these guys are here for the real deal. Of course, uh, grade one and 600,000 will bring you in, but I thought that was interesting because certainly um, you don't have a problem finding good jocks sitting in the room at Keeneland <laughs> if you need one. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, McCulloch and Bella Bell look like two the, the standouts in the QE2, and that is Saturday. But the graded stakes races aren't over if you're watching Keeneland this weekend. On Sunday, we have the uh, the Franklin. Now, this is going to be a don't blink it or you're going to miss it race. It's five and a half on the turf. Uh, and uh, brings together an interesting group, including the horse that won it last year, um, Change of Control, uh, who won't be one of the favorites in here this year. Um, you've got Wesley Ward, who comes in with last year's Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint winner, Twilight Gleaming. Sounds like a five-star yes, go to the window. My question, Vance, is, as impressive as this horse has been in its, shall I say, short career, only eight lifetime stars, but five of those wins, uh, wh why do you think there's all those breaks? Uh, I, the, the horse shows four significant layoffs between, again, another top effort. Do you think that Wesley Ward just figured out that's what this horse likes, is a nice rest in between races? Or uh, do you have any inside information the horse might have a little, you know, hitch in its get-along? Yeah, I, I think this has kind of been a common practice uh, with Wesley Ward's top sprinters. I mean, you can also take a look at the way he's campaigned Golden Pal in, in the, over the last couple of years. Uh, very well-spaced out races. Um, in, in, in the case of Golden Pal, of course, he's been targeting European races uh, with him as well and has gone over there multiple times with that horse. And, you know, it'll, it takes a little time for them to ship over there and run and then come back, settle back in, get back into their groove and then, you know, point for a, a domestic race. So I, I'm kind of guessing tw my memory is a little bit bad, but I thought maybe Twilight Gleaming was perhaps uh, maybe thinking about uh, pursuing a race overseas over the summer that just didn't come off. And then they just kind of uh, work their way backwards from the Breeders' Cup or from some of the uh, major fall stakes uh, and kind of just uh, spaced out their, their preps from there. Uh, see, I, this is why we got Vance Hansen on, folks. He notices these things. Um, another horse that's been uh, I've always had an interest in since, uh, you know, the whole hometown breeder, owner, trainer, uh, of uh, Elizabeth Merriman, and then the sale to Bobby Flay, and now the it looks like it's sale to an, another racing entity, and now it's on to its third trainer, though Brad Cox has done an awful nice job with it, uh, has has an ability to throw in, in a clunker, uh, but then all of a sudden can bounce back and, and uh, go for a win. That has been this horse's rhythm uh, going back to uh, March. It's been every other race, a win or a clunker. Last one, we'll call it a clunker. I'd be happy to run fourth in a grade two. But uh, is Caravel sitting on a potential winning effort here, Vance Hansen? 
she certainly has a shot. Uh, she's going to be showing speed from the inside, uh, but she won't be alone in that. And uh, I, I think the, the race last time was a bit of a throwout. She was running over a synthetic track uh, at Presque Isle Downs, um, but she had one on the synthetic track before, so it, it's kind of tough to, uh, you know, figure out. Maybe six and a half furlongs is just simply too far for her, and because she did well pretty badly in the final furlong, so it was probably the distance more than the surface last time. So, yeah, I think she has a chance to bounce back here. Uh, I think I'm going to take another shot here for my top selection here, uh, a four-year-old filly in here who's even more lightly raced than Twilight Gleaming. Gleaming. Uh, kind of caught my eye in here, and that's about time for uh, Sherry DeVoe. Uh, started her career uh, in 2021 in May, uh, didn't do so well, and then was off for quite a while. Uh, came back this past January and has just ran like gangbusters in her first uh, four outings, uh, working her way through the allowance ranks, and then finally winning the uh, uh, making her uh, stakes debut at Monmouth in June, winning the Goldwood Stakes very comfortably. She looked really good in that race. Then she threw a clunker in her next start in the Grade Three at Saratoga. Uh, I think that's that's a race you can probably forgive her for. Uh, just kind of perhaps bouncing off a career best. She's been off since then. She comes in here very fresh, and you know, with just six uh, races behind her, I think she's got a lot of potential here. I think she's going to great work on a great trip here uh, as a stalker behind the speed here, and she'll get her chance to mow them down late. So about time is the horse I'm kind of looking forward to in the Franklin. I love it, Vance Hanson. Hey, now, Vance, it looks like I got a minute or so left. Now, I, I, I know you're a great student of the game, race by race. Um, the Kentucky Lexington area has been blessed with good weather. It looks like they are again through this weekend. Um, what, if any, biases uh, should we might want to put into our handicapping when handicapping on the main and the turf at Keeneland so far this year? Yeah, I, I haven't detected too many, uh, I think, on either, on either side. Of course, that can change from day to day. Uh, you know, Keeneland has a very long reputation of being a speed-favoring surface, uh, especially in the, in, the, in good weather, and the, in, in the track dries, dries up pretty well. And in the, in the, in the turf course, I think, uh, typically has... Uh, traditionally play towards closers, but, you know, that, that I've seen in plenty of days in the past where speed just will not stop. So as far as betting these uh, these grass stakes are concerned, I think they should have some uh, earlier races on the turf on all three days. You know, just kind of pay, better should just kind of pay attention to see what's going on early in the card and uh, adjust their selections accordingly. All right. Well, Vance, I thank you very much. And once again, hats off to you. That story on Royal Harmony was an award winner. And uh, I thank you for joining uh, us again. It was good to see you. Thank you, John. Good luck to everyone this weekend. All right. That was Vance Hansen. Uh, early in the show, uh, Nick Tamaro, if you're out in California, I'm, or uh, should I say Texas, and, and it's Nick uh tomorrow if you're uh, talking to him in new york so thanks for joining us as you can see we got some wide open races or races you want to key those horses that we may have agreed on the important thing is that you pull down the easy win forms and see which way they push you in co-sign that with one of our picks and hopefully you'll be bringing home one of those 
boxcar winners that you can go over to winningponies.com and check out and see what our recent hits were. They're all up there for you to check out. So for my guest and for my producer, Josh, by gosh, I'm John Engelhart. Don't forget, folks, countdown coming. We're only about three weeks away from the Breeders' Cup. Until then, stay tuned. Good luck, everybody. Come back and join us again on Winning Ponies. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.